You're listening to Once, episode 275, Changelings. Welcome back to another episode of Once, the unofficial podcast for ABC's TV show, Once Upon a Time. I'm Daniel J. Lewis. And I'm Jeremy Laughlin. And we're happy to bring this conversation to you about changelings. Now, the the name of this episode seems a little odd. Because I only saw one changeling, and she looked like Granny. And by she, I mean he. <laughs> and you're, I mean, thinking no, of, she. you're thinking of changeling in the Star Trek way that I was kind of thinking yeah. of Changeling too, like someone who changes or morphs into someone mm-hmm. else. There's actually a, a much more accurate uh, description and definition for Changeling, which will make sense, and so I'll bring it up later. That's called a tease. But let's start our discussion called me. in the past. The main thrust of the past, and this is really the main thing we'll be talking about from uh, what happens in the past, is the future. The baby as a means for Rumpel to meet his mother. But backing up to that, when, when Rumpel really brings home the baby. <gasps> oh, gosh. What do you think of that? What, what throwing the baby on the table? No, just his, his <laughs> getting a baby and oh. bringing it back. Well, for a, the Rumpelstiltskin of the classic tellings, he really doesn't steal many babies. He did yeah. this one time. It was in the scene that apparently Bell first knew of him taking children. But unfortunately, the dialogue throughout this episode was lacking. Well, there was back in the episode <laughs> Skin Deep. He said among the list of well, chores that he would give Bell, one of them was something about skinning the children that he brings for their pelts. That one was a quip. Yes. One of my favorite moments. <laughs> it led to Chip. Yeah. Well, the chipped cup. It's just a cup. <laughs> uh, so this, but this whole scene, I couldn't place it totally in the timeline. Big surprise. But the problem for me is that in this and many other scenes, people seemed out of character in this episode. Mm-hmm. And and our our lovely cast did their best with the lines, but uh, <laughs> I feel like even the emphasis. Emily Duravan put through the line, what happened to you that made you like this? She, she was just emphasizing all these different parts, trying to make it sound like a line that hasn't been heard in a million other stories. It seemed like an odd thing for Belle, having been living with Rumple, to ask. And I don't remember her talking to him that way in the castle ever. Exactly. Maybe. I don't know. It was odd. Yeah. Uh, I, I can't make excuses. For this episode, <laughs> Rumpel especially felt like he wasn't written as Rumpelstiltskin as much. Right. He showed a lot of weakness, a lot of vulnerability. And I'm talking about the frilly Rumpelstiltskin, enchanted fairy tale land Rumpelstiltskin form really didn't seem like Rumpelstiltskin. Right. Now, Mr. Gold Rumpelstiltskin, I think, di- still did seem consistent. Right. And maybe that's part of when they get a couple writers writing the same episode. One of them is tasked over the Enchanted Forest storyline, and the other is tasked over the Storybook storyline. And that could explain why there's some discrepancy sometimes in, in roles and uh, it personalities. It could. 
However, one of the writers being David H. Goodman, we've come to really appreciate a lot of his episodes, but there were things even in the Storybrooke side that were just very odd that I'm sure we'll talk about, (laughs) both plot and dialogue. Needless to say, for me, like you said in the initial reaction, this after the last several weeks for me, this one was kind of kind of a letdown. I think. Yeah. Um, now, what is cool about this episode is that, and I think it's cool because they're bringing in some new talent and giving people some new opportunities. This episode was written by David H. Goodman. This is his twenty fourth episode, but it's the first episode with Brian writings. As a writer, he's previously been a script coordinator for pretty much every episode since the beginning of season two, as well as the script coordinator for several of the extras that have been on the Blu-rays and DVDs over the past couple seasons. So he's not new to the show. Uh, new as a writer, yes. My guess is he probably handled the Enchanted Forest storyline, and that's why it felt... A bit different from Maybe. normal Once Upon a Time stuff. Mm. I'm sure there's a lot that we don't know about the production of an episode. But um, but editing, if nothing else. Not video editing, script editing. I don't know. There were lines. <laughs> there were lines throughout that I labeled cut and paste <laughs> in my notes. <laughs> yeah, perhaps. Uh, now... When Blue Fairy rescued Belle from the tower, I know we're going to fly through <laughs> stuff in Fairy the past. Puns. <laughs> we're going to fly through some of the stuff in the past because there's not as much to discuss with the Enchanted Forest flashbacks. But um, about the middle of the flashbacks, when Blue Fairy rescues Belle from the library tower, there, she mentions that the Black Fairy used to be good, but she stopped defending children and started stealing them. I have a question for the fairies. Mm-hmm. Was her name Black Fairy at the time? <laughs> <laughs> True, because uh, the fairies are known by their colors. <laughs> there's green, there's blue, there's uh, Astrid. <laughs> <laughs> oh, wait, that that was her Storybrooke name, I think. I'm well, confusing it now. That was season two. We always had that trouble because her Storybrooke name was very similar to her fairy name, or at least it had the same... Nova. Magical quality, yes. Nova was one of her names. Astrid in Storybrooke, Nova in Enchanted Forest, I believe. Neither one of those being a color, and frankly, there aren't that many basic colors, so we know there are more fairies than there are colors. (laughs) Yeah, because especially if a guy is writing the script, we're pretty much limited to 16 colors, and that's about (laughs) it for a guy. (laughs) Really, ask a guy, how many colors can you name? And it'll probably be about 16 and then it starts getting into things like reddish-green and greenish-blue. I think that's very stereotyping. It is, but I'm a guy, so I can stereotype myself. <laughs> I'm even a designer, so my palette is like maybe 17 colors. Oh, good job. That aside, bringing it back to the culmination of all colors, if you're in pigments, that is, Black Fairy <laughs> was once good. Uh, now, I did a little bit more research on Black Fairy. What do we know of her? I thought you were just going to say on black, and I was going to say we are really digging deep here. We have heard of Black Fairy before. I've made the well, mistake yes. of calling her the Dark Fairy. I thought maybe, they did before. Maybe that has been used before to refer to her. Uh, but in the key episodes where we learn the most about Black Fairy, she was actually called Black Fairy. Like in the episode... Um, 
311 going home, that's when Tinkerbell brought up that the Black Fairy was the most powerful fairy ever. She was well-versed in dark magic, and she was banished by the Blue Fairy, but the Blue Fairy took the Black Fairy's wand first. See, they needed the Black Fairy's wand back in the episode 311 to try to stop Peter Pan's evil plan to turn Storybrooke into the New Neverland with the curse and everything like that, and then try and catch Peter Pan with, remember, Peter Pan was inside of Henry, and Henry was inside of Peter Pan. Their bodies were switched. Right. That was that episode going home. And using her wand to defeat Peter Pan has a little bit of a new meaning now. Mm, Yeah. Or a, a, a more intricate connection, I guess, in retrospect. Because, why? Connect because that. Because if she is Rumpel's mother and Peter Pan is Rumpel's father, then... That means that one... They're th- using the ex's wand to defeat him. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> but, if there's a family relationship that can be connected somehow in Once Upon a Time, they are connected. Huh. I can't... Uh, I just... Mm. I keep picturing Rumpel's father stumbling about the streets of like fictional London or wherever, and I just can't see the couple. Well, do you remember that Dreamy, today we know him as Leroy or Grumpy, Dreamy fell in love with Nova, but it was forbidden for Nova to marry him. <sighs> That's right. So we- Because fairies really are nuns. <laughs> we do know it's possible for them to love someone, to fall in love, to have relationships with people and such. That doesn't mean it's common or that uh, it's even something that has happened at all, other than maybe these couple times. So uh, Rumpel's father, Malcolm, somewhere along the way met this fairy, fell in love Malcolm. in some way, and then had Rumpel. And we don't know at what point the Black Fairy turned bad. Because like Blue said when she rescued Belle, Blue was saying she was a good fairy once. She got all crouchy and child stalkery. She's real creepy. Maybe she was called White Fairy back then. I don't know. Because we've seen some characters change names when they've changed sides I don't know if the the fairies change colors as well, or it's part of their titles or something. I could really see colors actually not being their actual names, but being kind of a rank. Like in the military, they sometimes refer to each other simply by their rank. You know, colonel, general, sergeant, all of that. So maybe blue is more rank and not a name. And that's how Nova could have an actual name and not be known as a color. They never called her, hey, pink, or anything like that. Hey, fuchsia, or... (laughs) Hey, aquamarine! (laughs) Um, See, we can name colors. I'm just not sure if I can match them with the colors they go with. Oh, yeah, I think we've theorized about the ranks before. Yeah, yeah, true. I I do think I remember that. Now, the Black Fairy was played by Jamie Murray, who was previously... H.G. Wells in the TV series Warehouse 13. The really cool thing of a connection here, and maybe a little hint of what's to come, maybe I'm reading too much into this, which I wouldn't be surprised, is H.G. Wells is one of the classic sci-fi writers who is also lumped in with Jules Verne. What did Jules Verne write? 20,000 Leagues Under the Sea, 
the mysterious island, storylines that we've already seen come to Once Upon a Time. H.G. Wells is known for classic sci-fi like The Time Machine, The Invisible Man, The War of the Worlds, The Island of Dr. Moreau. So it it's a neat little connection, like kind of a behind-the-scenes sort of connection, kind of like Dr. Whale and right. that whole connection with the Frankenstein movie. Uh, but still neat that uh, to see her playing this this part and she plays the part really well it's a role that i hope we get to see her play again because i want to know more about the black fairy i well she did a good job i wouldn't be opposed to it it's not like she was just one of those characters they bring in you're like uh i hope we're not dealing with that for a long time i think she would be interesting to have in the show i don't know you know there again i don't know if we were really asking the why do you hate fairies question still and I don't know. It's a question we forgot that we thought we had the answer to because the way we previously put it together was, well, a fairy helped Balefire come to the land without magic. And that's why Rumple hates fairies. Right. What I kind of question in this is why the baby? Rumple didn't actually need the baby in order to summon the dark fairy. That's what that incantation was that Bell translated for him. Right. Well, maybe the incantation is something that she can just kind of roll her eyes at and ignore. But when there's a baby involved, she's like, my precious. <laughs> and she's going to go get that baby. And I, who knows? Who knows? What is she doing with the babies? Does she supply the lost boys? To Neverland. Oh, that would oh, that would be interesting because fairies. At one point, it was said something like fairies come from Neverland, mm, and she steals babies. Was it from, said by the show, or was it theorized by us that fairies come from Neverland? Mm-hmm. I'm pretty sure it was said in the show. <laughs> it's starting to be hard to remember these things. <laughs> yeah. So one thing here that uh, connects this maybe it's what well, bell is all saying oh you put this baby in danger well is it really in danger if the only purpose of the baby was hey there's a baby here but that's only to get you here you're here for me not for the baby i think <laughs> remember rumple pulled out the dagger while the black fairy was there trapped inside of squid ink mm. i think there was something that rumple wanted to do with the dagger and with the baby, and he needed Black Fairy there for it, some kind of revenge he wanted to seek or something. Think so? Now, this gets but into... But Belle wouldn't know that. No, she wouldn't necessarily. Her reasoning didn't make sense. Now, I also thought, well, how was the baby in danger? It would have made more sense for Belle to say something to the effect of, oh, so the baby wasn't ever really in danger. Because through the rest of this episode, I was thinking... This doesn't work. Why would she fall in love with him after witnessing this whole thing unless the end proves that he had a change of heart and saved the baby in the end or the baby wasn't really in danger after all? There had to be something because she was clearly mortified by this whole thing and she's fighting him on it. It just doesn't fit with the going to live with him and seeing the man behind the beast and falling in love. But then at the one chance where it could have fit anyway, she concludes that the baby was in danger and she's the one who returns him to his parents. I think the baby was in danger 
because Rumpel had the dagger out and Black Fairy was like, what are you going to do with that? And I think he was just going to kill her. Well, whatever he was going to do, he didn't get to do it. No. Because time ran out. Yeah, maybe. I don't know. It's kind of weird. It's kind of frustrating. It's very odd. And we also don't know when the Black Fairy became the bad Black Fairy. I I can't just say when she became Black Fairy because we don't know. Maybe she was Black Fairy before she went bad. So we're not just going to say, oh, Black instantly means she's bad. They didn't call her the Dark Fairy in this episode. They simply called her Black Fairy. And then also said her heart blackened. And I was like, well, if you were trying to avoid that, Uh, you should have said her heart darkened. (laughs) Okay. Yeah. So that that kills my little uh, nitpicking on the words there. But she was and is considered to be the most powerful fairy ever. Except they've also said the same thing about blue. Well, they call blue original magic. True. That was back in the episode. And as we all know, original is not always the best. Yeah. KFC. So all of this with why the baby, I think, connects to the name of this episode, Changelings. So the definition for Changelings, look up on dictionary.com, the definition, two definitions that are relevant to this. One, a child surreptitiously or unintentionally substituted for another. The second definition in folklore is an ugly, stupid, or strange child left by... Here's the important part. Left by fairies in place of a pretty, charming child. Oh my gosh. That's horrible. Why did people have a word for that? Do they just go about accusing their children in old timey days of being changelings and the poor children had been taught what that meant? Probably. Like, what are you? Some kind of changeling? Well, I don't know why they had to be. It makes me wonder if that's why Black Fairy is doing this thing. If she considered Rumpel to be that ugly, stupid, strange child that then she left because she's a fairy and she wanted to then and it has been stealing children since then because she's looking for a pretty, charming child instead of Rumpel. And that would make Rumpel the changeling. Whoa. Yeah, she did kind of get a little coward, didn't she? Yeah. Now, this baby from the the couple, we don't know if it was an ugly, stupid, or strange child or whether it was a pretty and charming child. We don't know. We didn't really get to see it very well. Same is what she's thinking. She didn't get to see or find out or take the child or anything. So I want to see Black Fairy more often because I want to understand this whole thing. This also means that Rumpel was not a muggle by pure blood. He he is born of some magic. Yes, he is. And I don't know if I like that. I don't know. Well, it could explain part of why he's been the Dark One for so long and maybe why he's able to absorb magic better in in a sort of way. His mother is kind of the Dark One of fairies. Yeah. But the problem to me is that he always, and maybe it's kind of a fate thing, but it always felt like he was just this dude and he was a coward and he had a terrible father, but now... Like, both of his parents are notable, so he's not so random. Mm -hmm. I don't know if that's good or bad. 
jump back to the episode 118, The Return. Uh, earlier, I, I said The Stranger, uh, referring to an episode when Bay sought Blue Fairy. It was actually The Return, not The oh. Stranger. Um, I, I get those two mixed up sometimes. But in 119, Who The Return, Blue Fairy had said to Balefire, you're not untouched by magic. There's something dark in your life. Now, they probably really always meant that to be the dark one. Yes. But it is also possible that she saw some darkness coming from Dark Fairy because Blue Fairy did not know that Rumpel was the Black Fairy's offspring. Is that causing a headache? A little bit because it means that Henry is the great-grandson of a fairy. (laughs) Like... (laughs) There's too much magic in the family tree for anyone who senses magic to be around any of these people and not go, whoa, what in the world? You're not normal. Who is your family? Because <laughs> even if you can say that Rumpel's father didn't become anything until later, his mother was literally a fairy. Mm-hmm. The darkest of them all. Wow. There we go with the superlatives again. Right. She might not have been evil before he was born. Right. We don't know when she turned bad. We only know that she did. It was probably before Rumpel's birth because after all, she did leave so fast that she didn't even get to name Rumpel. And he brings that up. He said, if you would have stuck around long enough to actually give me a name, you would have known. Maybe next we're going to find out his father was actually a dwarf. My father was a dwarf. and My mother was a fairy. But I'm okay with that. (laughs) Uh, Yeah, it just gets more and more confusing, which is great in one way. The most affecting thing in this whole... Well, there there were actually two moments that were pretty good. One that we'll get to later. But one of them, when she was choking him the way she mockingly acted like she was holding a baby and kind of made little i'm looking at my baby faces but kind of oh, evilly I didn't even get that i didn't see that oh my gosh i thought she was terrific <laughs> we'll have a screenshot of that in the show notes for this episode at oncepodcast.com slash 275 because she kind of had him sort of bent backward and she was leaning over him and looking right into his face and she kind of made these mock motherly faces it was like oh my goodness you just met your son (laughs) and this is what you do yeah it wasn't anything like you're my son i've missed you (laughs) there was no conflict there not for very long she was just like haha i'm unfrozen now i get to taunt you and leave So Belle then takes the baby to this couple that in the credits, and maybe (laughs) I spoiled it, but since I already said it in the podcast, I might as well repeat it. Mm. In our initial reactions, I referred to them as Jack and Jill. Right. That's not the way it's actually credited in the end credits of the episode. On imdb.com, they're credited as Jack and Jill. But in the end credits, they're simply credited as peasant wife and peasant. Oh, And the peasant wife is played by Tammy Gillis, whom we were going to get to interview. Yeah. But the day before we were going to do the interview with Tammy Gillis, her agent contacted me and said that 
unfortunately, they would not be able to do the interview due to certain agreements with ABC, um, some non-disclosure things and such. And it has nothing to do with what kinds of questions we wanted to ask. It was just certain things weren't quite as planned. And so any chance to interview has to be put on hold for now, at least. Oh, interesting. We may still get the opportunity later in the future, but for now, we can't. There are certain things you could perhaps read into that or not. Uh, Maybe it's simply (laughs) – I don't want to speculate too much. That could get into spoilers. Interesting. But most likely not spoilers. So that's why we weren't able to share the interview with you. We weren't able to record it. Nonetheless, big thanks to Tammy Gillis's agent for contacting us and giving us that opportunity that unfortunately we couldn't take advantage of. So this, because this couple was credited as simply peasant's wife and peasant, it makes me wonder if the Jack and Jill thing was discarded completely as an idea from the episode or from the show, or if it's something that maybe they'll bring back in the future, which we've seen them bring back seemingly unimportant characters for the storyline, the narrative of the show. We've seen them bring back certain characters that seem to be one-off characters to play different parts, like Gus, for example. They've brought Gus back several times, and Gus may be one of the most loved side characters of Once Upon a Time. Most loved dead mice of all time. (laughs) It's really messed up to be a mouse and then get murdered as a human, but not... Hmm. We've never figured out why he was a human in Storybrooke, have we? No, we didn't. <laughs> or maybe the question is, why was he a mouse in Enchanted Forest? I believe so. Yeah, but rest in peace. Is. Oops. <laughs> <laughs> and speaking of rest in pieces, you know who helps us to rest in peace? Not in pieces, but they give us pieces of themselves because they are Ooh. our wonderful heroes who support the podcast episode after episode. Not literally. We could not do this podcast without you. So for this episode, special thanks go to our heroes, Lisa Slack, Lisa R., Amy Cattelier, and our 26 heroes on Patreon. Thank you very much for your wonderful, generous support of the podcast. You enable us to do things like keep the website running, pay for the place where we host the MP3 files. Yeah. Did you know we don't just upload the MP3 files to somewhere on the internet like Angel Fire or GeoCities or something like that. We have to pay for dedicated podcast media hosting that enables you to download the files very quickly. It gives us stats so we can see how many people are actually downloading the episodes. It keeps the files online. So even if our website goes down, the files are still available for you to download the podcast. It's stuff like that that you enable to continue because of your wonderful support you are our handsome heroes you help us to rest in pieces not the kind of gus gus kind of way but the wonderful restful helpful kind of way so big thanks for being our heroes if you would like to be a hero or want to renew or adjust your hero ship for the podcast then please go to onespodcast.com slash hero and thank you for your support yes thank you (laughs) (laughs) Moving on to the present. At the beginning, we see a fleeing nun. Not a flying nun. That's a different show. A fleeing nun. And This is like a horror show for nuns. (laughs) Nuns and fairies. Yeah. None. We just we see so many bad things happen to nuns in Storybrooke. I was going to question originally because she says the mother superior won't let you get away with this like 
You mean blue. Like, why can't you just... It's shorter. You were not nuns until you were cursed. Why are you still nuns? But now I realize as we've been having this discussion, it fits quite well with their lifestyle in general. So why not? Yeah, true. Go ahead and be nuns. Evil Queen, when she appeared, said this to Rumpel. You don't really expect me to kill my own flesh and blood for you. Well... Remember, Evil Queen, you did kill your father. But that was for her. True. <laughs> and she did kill her husband, but that wasn't flesh and blood. Yes, yeah, and, and technically her father isn't flesh and blood. She was the flesh and blood of her father. Her father is not the flesh and blood of her. But it was still I mean, a close family relationship. What? <laughs> <laughs> I don't think it's a unidirectional quality. But the phrase flesh and blood has now lost all meaning and it's just kind of gross. Unless it were to have a superlative added to it, like the darkest flesh and blood of all or something like that. That just got weirder too. (laughs) In the library, (laughs) Belle has this dream and uh, it's, it's all a dream. And there's that strand that now we'll call him Gideon since we know that's his name, uh, that the baby or Gideon says is his fate. And he almost makes it seem like it's much worse than Rumpel is planning. Like the way that he describes this strand is my fate and Rumpel wants to cut this with the shears almost makes it sound like Rumpel wants to kill his son. Uh, I didn't think so. I was relieved that it was a dream because otherwise, "Hmm, I've never seen this book in my library that I scour every week. Let me just open it and do what it says. I thought that was very strange. And then it was a dream and I was happy. Nothing about, dare I use the word of the chats and the and the bulletin boards and the forums, Morphetus. <laughs> Nothing about him really sets real well with me. He's weird. Menacing, you're saying? Or just, it's a strange concept that's not, I'm not sure it works real well. It, it, Talk about growing up too fast. Well, yeah. And there's also the whole thing jumping ahead when in the, another dream, he tells Belle, remember the book. Why? Why is the book important? It's almost the impression I got is as if when, when Gideon is born, everything that happened in the dream world is lost to him. He doesn't remember any of it. Hmm. That so would be good. that's the point of the book. Except is, why do I think she's still going to talk to her son in the dream world? Yeah. And he did say to her, you'll always be able to find me. Yeah. Well, what do you, what do you mean about the book, though? Well, the book is kind of a key that connects Belle and the baby. Was he not just pointing her towards Squid Ink? No, because the, the, oh. when he mentioned don't forget the book, that was much later. That was oh. when Belle gave him up. Oh, so that's this right. was yeah. This I, I jumped forward a little bit to refer uh, to that. So that's yeah. near the end of the episode. Why does he got to be cryptic? Because he's Morpheus. That's why he's a baby who can appear in his mother's dreams as an adult. He could say what he means. I'm sure he's capable. Snow and Jasmine meet up in the diner, and one of the things that stood out to me here was I mentioned before that I'm not sure I trust Jasmine because it sounded like she gave two different stories about what happened to Agrabah. 
This time, though, she is confirming this, this latest, what we see of Jasmine, is confirming the story that she told Snow early on. So she's being consistent with that story. It's not as if this Jasmine is not the same Jasmine that we saw before, which was one of the theories that I brought out. Right. I think we come up sometimes with some really interesting storylines that don't happen. Right. But sometimes I think our storylines would be really cool if they did happen that way. I think so too. Like the whole Jekyll and Hyde thing. I'm really disappointed that my big theory on the Jekyll and Hyde (laughs) thing didn't turn out to be true. When the evil queen visits Zelina to kill her, uh, here's Zelina once again being all evil and motherly in her own privacy of her home. Just sitting there. (laughs) Wicked. (laughs) Yeah, wicked. That's right. Being all wicked and motherly and this scene this scene this scene this scene i don't even think pieces missing quite explains any of this it's not so much what happened as how it happened evil queen shows up like a puppet with her heart being controlled or something like that it was so odd it was all odd it was like why would zelina not just try to disappear with the baby and go somewhere safe. Why would Evil Queen show, even though she's she's not proving to be inc- completely two-dimensional. So why did she act two-dimensional in this scene? Why was she not expressing any kind of explanation of remorse or motivation? Like she's not explaining to Zelina that she doesn't want to, but she has to because she wants to achieve this selfish goal. Like that would have been very Evil Queen to do. But she doesn't, and then they poof outside, and she's saying, enough games, let's end this. What what does that even mean? They weren't playing any games, and did nothing. there was nothing to end. End this, what, your sisterhood? I don't understand where these lines came from. They just started speaking to fill airtime. It made no sense. Well, Evil Queen is a bit cliché. With the evil queen fairy tale land sort of lines. We've heard that before. Her dialogue has been very clever up till now. At least she didn't do something like, ha, ha, ha. (laughs) Hashtag gallivant. Okay. But uh, one of the other things that was a bit different about evil queen here, (laughs) I could really almost see this happening, is evil queen joining a motorcycle gang. (laughs) Because her attire here in this scene Yes. <laughs> looked so much motorcycle game like than anything we've ever seen before on the entire show, anyone's <laughs> costumes. It didn't really look Evil Queen because she's wearing this giant belt sort of thing with an eagle on it. Uh, not a crow, probably. Or it's eagle looking kind of thing. And just the rest of her attire really looked like she's going to jump out on a Harley Davidson and drive off. Well... At one point, I probably would have said, ha that's funny. Yet we've seen her do an entire scene speaking with a southern accent. So I suppose anything's possible. True. So maybe we'll, we will see her drive up on a <laughs> motorcycle somewhere. <laughs> that could be really, yeah, really interesting. And uh, the, the, the combination there of icons. Yeah. Uh, Man, Regina's dedication, though, to to wanting to defeat the evil queen 
and demonstrating this by starting to crush her own heart. You could see it was affecting Regina just as much as it was affecting Evil Queen. Yes. I'm not sure that doing it and then stopping herself proves any kind of dedication well, to the she, idea of it. She was experiencing the exact same pain that she was causing on Evil Queen. Yeah. They seem to recover pretty easily. Yeah. It was it was interesting. I don't know why Zelina wasn't fighting back herself. She's pretty powerful. Why would she fight back? You can't kill the Evil Queen, and I think Zelina knows that. Mm. So why even bother fighting back? Someone sent in that Stop feedback. Her. I think it might have been Gareth or DeAndre uh, mentioned the same point to say that. I mean, that's a good point, but she could still, you know, stop her and live and be there for her baby. Yeah. Who would be an orphan at that point. But this does establish the definite fact that one way to definitely kill the evil queen would be to crush Regina's heart, which, by the way, her heart's looking very black. (laughs) Yes. So this, I've mentioned this movie several times before, Dragonheart. This really is a dragon heart scenario where one potential outcome of all of this, but I really think they're going to take this in a different direction, but they want us to think this is the direction they're going, is that Regina will sacrifice herself in order to stop the evil queen and save someone that's being attacked by the evil queen. So there may be the moment where we see Regina say, kill me, kill me. Shoot me right here, arrow, sword, throw a sword right here. <laughs> Say hey, and then throw a sword at me right right here or something like that. Uh, or she'll pull out her heart and give it to someone and say, crush it now. You have to. It's the only way we can save whoever's in trouble right now. Save Henry. It's the only way we can save Henry is crush my heart now. She needs to hide that thing. Yeah. I think that's the direction they're, they want us to think they're going, but they're not actually going to go that direction. Interesting. But speaking of hearts, even though Regina's is quite black, apparently she no longer has a hole in her heart that was left by the Dark Curse. But Evil Queen still does. When Regina was referring to the hole in her heart, she was saying things like referring to it in past tense for herself. And I think that's a sign of her significantly developed character, mm-hmm. the, the result of forgiveness and grace and love and all of these things that they're, well, Re- Evil Queen kind of represents a part of Regina's heart. So maybe that part has the hole in it. But the thing is, Regina has healed, moved on, and no longer has a hole in her heart. She might have a hole in her brain, though. <laughs> which we'll talk about soon, that being the logic of her attitude towards Zelina. Mm, yeah. Well, let's jump to that right now. Well, my thing is she won't forgive Zelina, but what is there to forgive? Yeah. She, uh, as I recall, she said, go after him, mm-hmm. him being Hades. Yeah. Nobody was at fault. Zelina was not malicious in her attempt at faith that Hades was not the evil person they all thought he was. Mm -hmm. Regina decided to trust Zelina, but Zelina was simply wrong. She didn't do anything in, she's done things, but she, in the, the specific instance that Regina is hating her over, she didn't do it. And I don't know 
I don't know how it makes any sense. And so the fact that they keep, it's the one thing not consistent in Regina's character development is the, her attitude toward Selena, including the development of her relationship with her sister. Mm-hmm. That, the, the second they first had Regina say that she blamed Selena early this season, I thought it was ridiculous then, and that she's clinging to it even with Selena trying to apologize for what she's done recently. I think from Regina's perspective and thinking about what someone in Regina's position might be feeling, I think it does make sense to blame Zelina. I'm not saying it makes sense as a fact or outside of what Regina is feeling. But from her perspective, I think it fits. It fits with what she's going through. It fits with what she's feeling to blame Zelina for that. But like DeAndre pointed this out, that Regina should be basically blaming herself because she's the one who told Zelina, yes, maybe love can change him. So go Mm -hmm. after him and go change him and such. But really... It was definitely Hades' fault. Hades is the one who killed Robin. Hades could have killed anyone else, might have, probably would have killed anyone else who got in his way in any way. And the reason that they were in that situation in the first place, if I'm not mistaken, was because Regina made Robin give the baby to Zelina. Yes? I I I don't remember. <laughs> Funny how these little things chat room will probably help correct us yes. there. I remember there being a definite thread of culpability yeah. for Regina herself. So I don't know. She had seemed more well adjusted before, and she overall still seems that way. The thing towards Zelina is just so irrational. Yeah, and it's it's uh, interesting the way that Zelina worded things. The order of her wording was Regina was forgiven and she grew and changed. Mm-hmm. Regina is kind of acting like, no, you have to grow and change before I can forgive you. What about forgiveness? What about redemption? I mean, you've been forgiven. You've grown. You've changed. You're not me. I can never forgive you. I can pity you. I can hate you. I can spare your life. But I can never forgive you. First of all, Regina should have let Zelina continue with her apology mm-hmm. when she arrived. Because Zelina was totally ready to apologize and, you know, be all wicked and try and make things right. <laughs> You get what I'm getting at here, right? That Zelina is basically not doing anything wrong. She's just being a mother and what? actually trying to make things right, sort of. Yeah, what did she What did she mean, you're not me? <laughs> you're right. She hasn't killed nearly as many people, yeah. family or strangers. <laughs> I, I don't know. It doesn't make sense either. Just, just stop. Right. Like, within one episode, Regina really needs to have a change of heart and figure out that this is a big blind spot. Well, and... And end the illogic. <laughs> here's, here's a good theory from Gareth on this. He said, I would really like to see Regina forgiving Zelina being part of what allows Regina to defeat or reintegrate with the evil queen. 
It is really strange that Regina is displaying this level of unforgiveness. It makes me think they are setting up for something. In a way, the common ground between Regina and Evil Queen might be the holes in their respective hearts. Regina's hole in her heart was filled by Henry, but there is a new hole following Robin Hood's death. Perhaps making peace with Zelina needs to happen before she can make peace with herself. Hmm. I think that's some great insight there. Thank yeah. you, Gareth. I think I think they are definitely setting up for something. Unfortunately, when something seems to come out of nowhere, <laughs> it's because they feel that it must be there for later plot. Yeah. In a way, it reminds me of uh, the parable in the Bible where a guy is forgiven a huge debt mm-hmm. and then he turns around and threatens someone who owes him a tiny debt. Right. And really, to someone who has been forgiven of much, it should be easy for them to forgive others of little because they need to remember how much they were forgiven of. I mean, even Regina points out here, I I did horrible things, but I was forgiven. I was changed. I mean, that's brought out in the conversation, but Regina isn't really realizing how she needs to share that. So maybe it is key. Maybe this is something that will come in with the reintegration or defeating evil queen in some way like Gareth theorized. The problem is if they come to a point where they need to have her say, I forgive you, that's all she can say. Because she can't say, I forgive you for, insert, because I don't know what that would be. I don't know how that sentence would end. I don't know what she's not forgiving her for. She says, I blame you, but she can't say why. Yeah. There's no, there's nothing there. So, and, and I don't know. I'm not going to say that the writers don't understand forgiveness. They do. They've shown oh, in yeah. the past. Like I feel like actually with Once Upon a Time and Once Upon a Time in Wonderland, I've seen forgiveness pictured in the stories more than any other TV shows I've seen. Any, and I don't watch, watch a whole lot. I mean, right now, the only active TV show I watch is Once Upon a Time. But of the other TV shows I've seen over the past 20 years, I've never seen forgiveness portrayed yeah. so well as in Once Upon a Time. It's rare to see it portrayed in a way that's helpful in informing real-life situations or, like it is in Once Upon a Time. Or portrayed at all yeah. in TV shows or movies and such. So the writers aren't... aren't oblivious to the idea of what forgiveness really is here right it feels like this is something intentional for developing the story yeah it's only the logic of the situation itself that i have a quibble with yeah speaking of quibbles let's talk about squid ink (laughs) (laughs) uh you mean retcon juice (laughs) well Okay, so there's more squid ink in the library, and that's the solution that was in front of Belle all along. Um, okay, fine. Woof. Squid ink, trapping Rumple. I, I really think they are, being, they are being consistent with the squid ink thing. Uh, I will disagree. So the reason that I call it a retroactive continuity device is because originally... Not only did Rumpel make deals with people, but he had them sign a contract. So having a quill that could be powerful enough to freeze him if they could trick him into signing with it was both effective and poetic. And it was self-limiting so that they couldn't just, oh, I don't know, uncork a bottle and fling it at him to freeze him whenever they wanted. There had to be some tension. There had to be – they had to get him to sign a contract. It was it was interesting. And then, you know, season two, the, the, the sealed season, they decide it wasn't the quill. It was the ink. 
Well, okay. And now, like you've said before, not only is it ink, but now it's not even rare like it used to be. Like there, that stuff is everywhere. Yeah. And now they're having, because it's too convenient, they're having to decide that, oh, he's too powerful to be frozen for very long by dried squid ink. Yeah, I, I felt like that line was a bit unnecessary to even stipulate to say, oh, dried squid ink. Because we've seen the Dark One captured momentarily mm-hmm. by what we now are supposed to believe is squid ink, not the quill. It was the squid ink. And we saw in this same episode the Black Fairy captured and frozen for a short time from wet squid ink well they have to do it that way because originally what they're claiming now was the squid ink froze him long enough for them to take him and lock him up Mm -hmm. that wouldn't have worked back in season one if it was the squid ink and if it functioned the way they need it to function now i kind of feel like the way to reconcile the whole squid ink thing is (laughs) to not use it ever again forget the quill nope in a way, or just accept that it was the squid to. ink. I know it. I, I want like, to send the squid ink to the burning red room. <laughs> I like the idea of it being the contract and the quill and that whole thing. I like yeah, that idea. There was better. actual poetry in it. But if you accept that that was squid ink instead of the the quill, okay, then then it was uh, because what, it wasn't more, the contract itself. No, it wasn't. It was, it was the, the quill. quill. What a lovely quill! <laughs> yeah, wherever did you get it? If you accept that that was squid ink, I think they have been actually consistent with squid ink. Well, except that the first time we saw it, Emma blew the words off the page and okay, they melted yeah, bars. Except, except that time. Unless the bars were somehow containing squid ink as well, which would make sense because how did the bars keep Rumple in there? If, unless they were partly... So ignore that thing and then the rest of squid ink still makes sense. So all of that discussion of squid ink brings us to... This scene of trying to trap Rumple or momentarily trapping Rumple. I wonder here if the Dark One remnants have completely dissipated from Emma. Because remember, she is not a Dark One anymore. She was a Dark One. Mm-hmm. And the dagger still called to her, but maybe it stopped calling to her. Because they're looking for the dagger and they can't find it. Well, you'd think... Can't she still hear it since she used to be a dark one? I wouldn't think she could based on anything we've seen. Her shirt might call to her. It was was maybe loud enough compared to her normal garb. But um, no, I don't. What I'm more bothered by in the sense of things calling to things is that even with the distraction that she could sneak up on Rumple at all. Yeah. I don't know if that's entirely consistent well did she shout squid ink when she threw it because he definitely did when he threw it at black fairy it was the despicable me kind of thing (laughs) freeze ray (laughs) squid ink (laughs) sidekick like in case you're wondering how he could possibly freeze black fairy he had to shout squid ink when he threw it you're supposed to throw it first and then you announce it. You know, lipstick taser after you've <laughs> tased someone with the lipstick. Uh, oh, despicable me. A, a little disclaimer. I There is something I like less than squid ink. A vial of magic. So at least they've given it a label, unlike a certain episode <laughs> a season or two ago. We get to see a little bit more of Emma's vision here. 
and it's shown a little bit more again later. Remember that back in the episode when she first saw the vision, 601, the Savior, the oracle said that it was a small piece. She didn't say it was the whole thing. Clearly, it's not the whole thing. Mm -hmm. And here we got to see a little bit more. I think they filmed this scene, the fight and everything. They filmed the whole fight, and they're showing us little bits at a time. One of those things that we get to see added to it this time is the sword. And not only is that sword interesting, but how the sword was used. I find that interesting because whoever is under the hood thrust the sword into Emma. It looks like they twist it. Jeez. And then they let go. They let go. They leave it. Yeah. And you don't leave your sword in the person. <laughs> Unless there's a particular story in the Bible of uh, a sword uh, accidentally being left in a person. It's a very interesting story if you want to read it sometime. It's in the Old Testament. Aww. But it, it seems like there's some meaning to that. Like, it's more than just someone defeating someone else. There is the extra meaning of twisting it and then leaving it there. Just kind of letting them die with the sword in them. Ew. Maybe there's something special about this sword. Wow. Why does Rumpel have it anyway? It's got to be magical in some way if it's in his shop. He keeps magical things. Magical in that it wants Emma to find it, and so it just kind of wriggles itself to the top of the rubble he left in his temper tantrum. I mean, (laughs) that search lasted all of two seconds. They walked in, like, oh, there's the sword. That was easy. Maybe that's calling to her. It's a different blade. Well, one reason why maybe it stands out and why maybe it has this connection uh, could be with this theory from Gareth saying, I'm sure we'll find out that the sword is the sword of the first savior or something like that. The Excalibur equivalent for savior magic. I don't want that to be the case, but I wouldn't be surprised if it is. Maybe it is really what has the power to cut someone off from the savior magic, the way Excalibur cuts off the original magic. It is even possible that Rumpel turned the Shears of Destiny into the sword. There, This is me speaking. There, I don't think he turned it into anything else. I think the sword has existed as that sword since forever. Mm-hmm. Uh, Gareth continues, I think he was the last one to have the Shears. We saw Merlin turn the Holy Grail into Excalibur, so perhaps the shape of something doesn't matter as much as we sometimes think. I think this sword could be powerful enough to kill the evil queen and not harm Regina. And that could especially make sense if what we're seeing in this fight scene is one version of Emma killing another version of Emma. I I really feel like that's what they're setting us up for. So like floral shirt wearing Emma killing plain tank top wearing Emma? Yeah. Hmm. I think that is the wrong winner. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I don't know why. (laughs) I don't suppose my opinions are really that strong, but we all did notice that shirt for sure. (laughs) And in our chat room uh, during the show on Sunday night, you can go to oncepodcast.com slash live to chat with us while the show is airing. That's also where our live podcast is hosted on Sunday nights and Wednesday nights. But uh, in the chat room, a couple people pointed out that originally in the vision, when Emma gets disarmed, the sword is hit out of her hand, it poofs away in red smoke. Who uses red smoke so often? Rumple. Now, 
the color of smoke. I know our friend Jeff Roney loves the theory of the color of smoke, or at least years ago he did. Uh, and certainly it seems they are somewhat consistent with the color of smoke. And red is often used by Rumple. So there could be something there. This is a sword that in some way belongs to Rumple. Mm-hmm. So that's something else to consider. Or at least this sword that hurts Emma, the sword that Emma is using in the fight, that's the one that poofs away in red smoke. We don't know whose sword that is. We don't know where Emma gets that. That is not David's sword because in that vision, when David runs up, he is carrying his sword. Meanwhile, while all of this is happening, a couple across town need some marital counseling because Rumpel uh, confronts Belle in this scary way. It's almost like the shining sort of way. I just expect Rumpel to open the, the elevator doors and say, here's Rumpel, or something like that. But uh, that didn't happen, thankfully. This is supposed to be a family show. It's supposed to be. It's supposed to be. But two things happen here that seem to counter each other. One is it seemed at first that Rumpel basically acknowledged that his relationship with Belle is done. But then at the end of the same scene, when... She says the cost of using that magic on her would be losing her forever. Oh, she's a sneaky little manipulator in her own right, (laughs) isn't she? But it's that moment when he backs off and leaves because I think that is a price he is not willing to pay. She has perhaps rightly stomped him into the ground and twisted her heel as much as she can. She's told him there's no hope for him. She's told him there's no hope for them as a couple. And yet, as he's saying these things, she says, don't give up. Why not? From everything you've said to him this year, why should he not (laughs) if he really values your opinion that much? I mean, he's, he's earned what she said before. But I thought that was a kind of an odd, it was more like the bell we know to tell him not to give up, but her, her sort of message to him hasn't been consistent. Not that it has to be. It's kind of a terrible relationship. It's kind of sad that they've <laughs> taken that relationship to that point, but that's where it is. But, but she really has basically said, I thought in no uncertain terms that they are done, that he has lost her forever. And here she's kind of dangling that carrot. Now, maybe you do what you got to do to get out of that situation, but I don't know what I'm questioning is whether they intended it that way or not. I don't think they did. I think they were intending her to be genuine, Mm. but I thought that was very weird. Did you recognize Rumpel's sentiment in expecting that only his baby could love him? Yeah, everyone, every villain in this town thinks that a child will be the place where they get the love they need for all of life. Regina did that originally. And and it was really the main thrust of Zelina's motivation Mm -hmm. that I must have this baby because this will be the only one in the world to love me. And only me. Yeah. (laughs) Uh, And that seems to be Rumpel's same perspective. Mm -hmm. So he had a little bit copy and paste. Yeah. Like like you were saying (laughs) earlier. It's just, it's also, it feels like he's smarter than this. He's been around so long and he's been through so much. Why would he why would he think this? I mean, I guess being alive a long time doesn't mean that you learn lessons. Clearly he hasn't. But going from nobody can love me, but maybe this child can and I have to cut his fate away. Apparently his fate is to hate me. Yeah. 
which they only know because he appeared to them in adult form. Freaky child. Don't trust that baby. You better give that baby to the fairies because he needs all the help he can get. Maybe they should cut his fate. Just saying. Don't turn into creepy Morpheus. If a baby can be creepy, Bell and Rumpel's baby is definitely creepy. And speaking of the baby, we come to the baby's birth. And all too I, quickly. Either Belle fell asleep during labor, which, wow, <laughs> if, if she did that, okay, she's really talented. Or she's learned how to revisit the dream world without actually being asleep. Because there, during labor, was when she visited the dream world or and talked to Morpheus. Reaper baby has total control over whether she's in the dream world or not. That could be true. And maybe that is his magical power is... He is Morpheus. He is a a kind of ruler over dreams, and he does have that actual magical power. He said, you'll always find me when you need to. So I'm thinking that even though Blue Fairy takes baby Gideon away, that Belle will still be able to find him later on because Morpheus said it right here, or Gideon, rather. I'm just calling him Creepy Baby. So, But Creepy Baby put them on a swing set in a cemetery? What was that? Mm-hmm. Why? Why doesn't he... Why don't they visit... There's been Rumpel's Castle, and there's been places of complete darkness. Is that, like, the womb? <laughs> or is that the inside of his head? Why can't he be somewhere pleasant? I think it was part of a production decision to try and make us think someone had to die. Because mm. that was actually the impression I got when he said, you know what you need to do. And she's like, no, no, I can't. They should have been playing a lullaby in a minor key behind it. <laughs> that would have been good. But she named him Gideon and said, a hero of all time. Huh. Maybe the hero of the season. At what point does the aging potion <laughs> stop working on the baby? I know. I, that was my other crackpot theory was that it just wasn't going to stop and he was going to come back an adult and they were going to be like, cool, we missed his childhood. I, I could really see that actually being the case, that he does come back as an adult. Which really, if you were to rapidly age, you should just be a grown infant. But he already has a fully developed mind, so I guess he wouldn't drool on himself and he could walk and feed himself and go to the bathroom and stuff. I think it's neat how they tied this back in with a recurring theme throughout Once Upon a Time that Bell was giving him up so that he could have his best chance. I did like that. And that Blue had a part in facilitating that. And Rumpel kind of arrived just as he was going, almost the way the Queen arrived just as Emma departed. Yeah. Ooh, yeah. Belle saying goodbye, that was actually the other scene I was referring to. I thought that whole part was actually pretty good. Yeah, and even seeing uh, Blue starting to cry a little bit. Despite it being the baby's idea. (laughs) (laughs) So they fly off to Forgotten Character Island. I'm sure that's where they're going. You think so? Probably. There's nobody there anymore. Oh, no, there are lots of people on Forgotten Character Island. Oh, yes, of course. The dirigible couldn't hold everybody, just like the curse was of questionable scope. Mm. So was the Jekyll and Hyde dirigible (laughs) slash taser. Rumpel says, I would never hurt you, Belle. Never. Really? At least not physically. (laughs) Or at least not after now. Because he certainly hurt her. 
emotional. And he has done things that,、uh, although there was no lasting physical damage, she was very close to dying. He protects her body and beats her mind. Yeah. If I'm going to put it bluntly. For the most part, except for when,、uh, when Jekyll came through the barrier and was able to start to harm her and probably bruised her a couple times. And that was. He tried to protect her physically. Yeah. He tried to. Well, more his protection was to keep her from escaping. So he has hurt her. So when he says, I would never hurt you, he's really blind to what he's doing. I believe his intentions are basically good, but he doesn't really understand what he's doing. No, but he needs to learn pretty darn quick. Yeah. So he returns to his shop, and there's the evil queen just kind of gloating and taunting over the fact that she's basically succeeding in getting everyone to tear themselves apart. Even her own partnership here with Rumpel. She's tearing that apart. And she's getting Rumpel, her <laughs> partner in crime, to tear his relationships apart. I wasn't sure you were going to get it in this time. <laughs> There's always a plan. There's always a plan. The <laughs> last time we've seen Rumpel have a tantrum like he did in the shop was, well, and the only time we've seen it, was in episode 112, Skin Deep, when he thought Belle was dead. Or left.、Uh, and it was a tantrum that, again, was inspired by things that Evil Queen said. Oh, that's true. He told Evil Queen that she was one of his pawns. More chess analogies. Remember, the chess analogy started when I noticed that Rumpel was playing chess with himself and he picked up the queen and used it to take out the rook, and rook being another word actually、uh, to fork. Queen, and he is indeed using Evil Queen to try and further his own strategy. He is, but he's also trying to intimidate her in a way that is, well, we know better. Yeah. She's more significant than that, even though she's kind of like the skin of evil from Regina. <laughs> We've got only one episode left of Once Upon a Time, so that will be airing on Sunday. December 4th at 8 p.m. 7 Central. Please join us at oncepodcast.com slash live during the live airing of the show in Eastern and Central Time. And you can chat with us and stick around for our initial reactions. So that's the last episode until probably sometime in March. We don't know the actual return date. By now, ABC usually has announced when or leaked. In some way, when Once Upon a Time will return. And even our official Once Podcast fact checker, which is the new title now for Matthew Paul, <laughs> doesn't know. And he's confirmed that、uh, ABC has not released or there's no leaked information. There are theories about certain dates, but most likely Once Upon a Time will return sometime in March. So we've got one episode left before the hiatus. Please don't expect anything from the podcast during the hiatus because not only will it be a nice time to rest for us as podcasters, 
but this is also when Noodle Baby will be born for us. <laughs> so we got to do all kind of things like find a copy of Her Handsome Hero and read it to the baby and plant our swing set in the local cemetery so we can swing there with baby and all of these other things, you know, find a blue fairy and, and all of this stuff. I'm going to be at my house sleeping on behalf of Daniel and Jenny, who will likely <laughs> not be getting much sleep. Yes. So not only will there not be uh, any once podcast episodes or probably won't be any once podcast episodes during that hiatus, or at least not involving me. Uh, Other podcasts might be put on hold temporarily as well, but that's all coming. We still don't know the gender. I know you're probably wondering, and we have not yet picked a name either. And they've not had any uh, visions of an adult version of their (laughs) child speaking to them. But we will share the announcement and probably the baby specs when the baby is born. (laughs) (laughs) And we're going to go on this feedback here from Gareth with a a few predictions on the cliffhanger since we're coming up to that for the mid-season finale. Gareth said, I think the winter finale will end with one of the following. A, Emma being killed and the figure in the hood being revealed as herself. B, Regina sacrificing herself to eliminate the evil queen, though I would prefer reunification. Rumpel might kill Regina to get revenge on the evil queen, but this would not be as satisfying as Regina becoming whole again. Or C, Jasmine making a wish that goes horribly wrong. I think the Rumpel and Belle story has been wrapped up enough for now and that they won't focus too much on it in the finale. Great predictions there, which I'm not going to task our editor with the job of putting this in the right place. But we didn't talk about Aladdin being the genie. Oh. So I want to jump back to that. Totally out of order, but that's fine. We can do this. It's our podcast. We can do it how we want to. When Aladdin became the genie, uh, we've theorized in the past, and I was disappointed to see Jafar not come out of the genie's bottle. I think it makes more sense for it not to be Jafar, but still, I want to see Jafar return in some way to Once Upon a Time. So back in the scene when they rub the genie lamp and the the little bracelets come out that inspired me to do some more research about that and sure enough we've seen those bracelets before back when we first saw the genie sydney in episode 111 fruit of the poisonous tree sydney was wearing those bracelets when he was the genie and it was an iconic thing that when king leopold's first wish was to free sydney those uh, wrist things fell off. I'd call them cuffs. Yeah, the cuffs fell off. Same design for the cuffs as what Aladdin puts on and thus becomes the genie. And in case you're wondering what happened to the other two wishes, uh, without there being a genie, the other two wishes were still usable because King Leopold used the second wish to grant his third and final wish to Sydney, which then Sydney used that wish later when he said, I wish to be with you forever, talking to Regina, to always look upon your face, to never leave your side. And then that's what sent him to the land of mirrors to always stay there. Or maybe that's what created the land of mirrors. And that's very consistent with how wishes often turned out in Once Upon a Time in Wonderland, Yeah, which hopefully they know because if Jasmine says... I want to be an Agrabah, and Agrabah is like buried under sand, so will she mm-hmm. be? And I doubt she'll be able to breathe. <laughs> and the uh, talking about Once Upon a Time in Wonderland, I went back and rewatched some of that. 
some key episodes here and there, the same kind of cuffs as well for the genies in Once Upon a Time in Wonderland. Same design, same everything. They all wore those cuffs when they were the genies. And it was very symbolic at the end when, okay, spoiler, when Jafar becomes the genie, those cuffs are put on him. And we don't see him wearing those cuffs in the episode, The Savior, here in Once Upon a Time. So twice now, Aladdin has referred to, or it has been referred to, that Aladdin has met a genie before. Mm-hmm. The first time, he and Jasmine referred to that genie as our old friend. So, where does that fit in their history? Yeah, and in this we episode... We saw Aladdin meet Jasmine, we saw that whole story, and then we saw Aladdin leave Jasmine. And are we to assume that they met up again before... The whole using the shears business. And didn't kiss. And didn't kiss. (laughs) Since that seems to be their recurring theme. (laughs) (laughs) And the most important part of their relationship to you. (laughs) Um, And maybe that's the answer. Maybe because we didn't see him, whatever he went off to do and then whatever happened and he used the shears on himself. Maybe it was somewhere in that story that he met his friend, the genie. Yeah, and here in this scene, he referred to that genie as a great genie that he knew. Now, Sydney, I wouldn't really call Sydney a great genie. No. Because especially (laughs) when we look back at the episode Fruit of the Poisonous Tree, when we got to see him as a genie, he's very blah, 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 got to do this all again. Here we go. He's a genie. Yeah, exactly. He's tired of this. And... He does not have the greatest morals, as we see in the rest of the episode, The Fruit of the Poisonous Tree. Cyrus, I would say, was a good genie. He was Mm -hmm. a good man. Yeah, it was a bad decision that led him to become a genie. And when I say Cyrus, I'm referring to Once Upon a Time in Wonderland. Uh, But that's not Cyrus's bottle. One of Cyrus's brothers had a genie lamp that was the same design as this. So the whole point of this is this is a genie lamp. This is not a lamp from Once Upon a Time in Wonderland of the three brothers because what happened for them, they were cursed into the lamps when the curse was broken and they returned the water to Nyx. Then the enchantment was removed. It wasn't like the the bottle and the lamp still had a genie to them and now that position was left unoccupied. So this genie lamp has a genie or that role to it That's a role that can be passed on by putting on the cuffs. So I really think that probably the genie that that Aladdin is referring to is Sydney because Sydney was from Agrabah. Yeah, I don't see them being friends. Yeah, well, we need to see Aladdin and Sydney Glass meet up sometime in Storybrooke. But Aladdin set him free. So, well, he just said he's free now. Yes. But why wouldn't Aladdin set him free? Different storyline, maybe. No, it's, it, it is possible that it's a different genie's lamp in all of this. But I don't want to see Sydney as that genie. <laughs> whatever the case, Aladdin is now the genie of the lamp, and we don't see any more of that in this episode. And I think that's quite heroic of Aladdin, which is really interesting because here is a guy that was the savior and had savior magic, and he chose to cut that from himself and hide and be a thief and now here he is kind of making that right by deciding 
I'm basically going to sacrifice myself to fulfill this role to help save Agrabah. So I think it's pretty brave of him and heroic even. It is. I don't know if I care yet. Gareth, uh, similar to Gareth's theory earlier, and this was the expanded version of his theory of uh, Jasmine's wish possibly going bad, and this could be one of the possible cliffhangers. So Gareth said, (laughs) since it is the winter finale, I am expecting bad things to happen. As the lamp can only have one master at a time, I don't think it will affect the overall story very much at this point. However, in the future, after Jasmine or someone else might get their hands on it. Of course, if Daniel is right and Jasmine is Jafar in disguise, things could go south in a hurry. But I don't think that is the case. And now I have to admit, I don't think that's the case either. (laughs) The thing Jasmine might do that leads to disaster is trying to help her friend Snow White break the sleeping curse. It could be Jasmine being super well-intentioned, but there may be a cost or unforeseen consequence. Later, Aladdin will be freed from the lamp. Someone might be able to wish him free, The other genie got free, so perhaps Aladdin knows how to do it. However, I wonder if being a genie would qualify as a curse. In Wonderland, it was a punishment for stealing the water. Alice's true love for Cyrus, this is from Once Upon a Time in Wonderland, did not free him from his bottle. Remember, they shared true love's kiss. That didn't break that punishment or that curse. But perhaps Jasmine and Aladdin's true love's kiss, which, by the way, would be their first ever kiss, apparently, will someday release him. I think that's a great point, uh, Gareth, and it would justify the fact that we've never seen these two people kiss. I'm not saying that anytime you see two people, they need to kiss, but... That's a relief. (laughs) Their storyline really seems like they do have feelings for each other, and they're just kind of denying them right now. So maybe their true love's kiss could be key to breaking the, the genie curse or punishment or or spell or whatever you want to call this that aladdin is now in it could be it could just be a carefully worded wish so this concludes our discussion of this episode changeling if you'd like to continue the discussion then please comment on our show notes for this episode at oncepodcast.com slash 275 you can also go to our forums and talk about anything about once upon a time including future episodes and there are spoiler sections there so you can share spoilers you find you can theorize based on spoilers there and there are non-spoiler sections as well all of that and more and our feedback information for sending us your theories after the next once upon a time episode is all in the show notes at oncepodcast.com slash 275 Please connect with us on Twitter at Once Podcast. And I'm Daniel J. Lewis on Twitter at The Daniel J. Lewis. I'm Jeremy Laughlin on Twitter at Fleegon. That's P H L E G O N. This podcast would not be possible without our great team behind us. So special thanks to Jack for writing our show notes, John Buchanan for editing our episodes, Hunter Hathaway and Jacqueline for providing our spoilers. You'll hear from them in just a moment. Jacqueline and Matthew Paul for moderating the forums, Keb for masterminding our timeline, and Thanks from me to my fellow co-hosts, Jeremy, Aaron, Heather, Hunter, and Jacqueline for hosting the podcast with me. And until next time, that wingless glowworm won't stop me. And thanks for listening. Once Podcast is a proud member of Noodle Mix Network. Find more of our award-winning and award-nominated podcasts to make you think, laugh, and succeed at noodle.mx.
Big thanks to our heroes for supporting this episode of the podcast. If you would like to be a hero too, then please go to oncepodcast.com slash hero. And thank you for your support. Hi, Oncers. I'm Hunter Hathaway. And I'm Jacqueline. And it's spoiler time once again for Once Podcast. Episode 610, Wish You Were Here. When she learns that our heroes possess a weapon capable of defeating her, the evil queen steals Aladdin's magic lamp from Jasmine and makes a wish that could sideline the savior forever. Unwilling to wake Snow while Emma is missing, David works with Hook and Henry to hold the evil queen at bay in Storybrooke, as Regina goes on a rogue rescue mission. Meanwhile, Gold and Belle face a surprising danger to their newborn son on the winter finale. This one's written by Eddie Kitsis and Adam Horowitz and directed by Ron Underwood. Yeah, so winter finale. This is it. Yeah. We don't know when they're coming back, do we? Not yet. I still think we're going to have three months off, but they haven't officially announced. So we do have quite a number of guest stars for this episode. But if you look, there's no one new. Yep, there's no one new at all. <laughs> we do have all of the dwarves returning, including Jeff Gustafson as Stealthy. Yay! We have Beverly Elliott back as Granny, and we have Keegan Connor Tracy as Mother Superior. Of course, we have Karen David as Princess Jasmine and Dennis Ochdenis as Aladdin. You're getting very good at saying that. Thank you. And of course, in a... uh a bit of a surprise if you haven't been paying attention to filming shots or been listening to Hunter and I talk about filming shots. Giles Matthew as is back as Gideon. Yep. I, ha- I guess we have to call him Gideon now instead of Morpheus. <laughs> I guess because she named him Gideon, even though she knew he had another name. But we got a promo. Did you did you want her to name him Morpheus? I don't know, but they called him that, and then oh wait, your name's Gideon. <laughs> surprise i know right it's like oh wait it's a girl that i would have <laughs> i was waiting for that i thought that would have been perfect that would have been hilarious then who's this morpheus character anyway little sidestep there let's go back to our promo <laughs> it was a different promo i liked it it was it was probably the better promo we've gotten all season okay so yeah emma wishes she has never been the savior Yeah, which, you know, is interesting because I kind of thought she had made a little bit of peace with being the savior. Um, She keeps talking about how she's going to fight and and try not to die and how she's there to protect the people she loves. And then, you know, suddenly it's, I wish I was never the savior. So Yeah. So the evil queen takes the lamp and it looks like she was in some major fight. She's got a big cut on her face. Mm Mm-hmm. And then she wishes... For whatever Emma wished for, which was not to be the savior. And Aladdin, of course, has to grant the wish because he's got the cuffs on. And Emma disappears from Granny's. Yes. And then the next time you see Emma, she's uh, wandering through the Enchanted Forest in what has to be the most ridiculous princess gown I've ever <laughs> seen in my life. Yeah. I mean, it is it is full on Disney, bright pink, poofy fur on the collar kind of ridiculousness yeah and she looks i don't want to say insipid but (laughs) (laughs) if you think about how snow white from the actual disney cartoon 
might have looked and acted. That's kind of what I'm imagining Emma right now as. I know. She's like flittering through the woods. La 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 la. Exactly. Doesn't fit her at all. No. And that's how Regina finds her. Yes. And then we learn that you cannot undo wishes. Yeah. Which I thought you could wish for the wish not to have taken place. You would think so. I mean, there's that seems to be kind of logical. It's not one of the rules, at least not that Adam and Eddie have established, because they did establish some rules with genies back in Wonderland. Yeah. But anyway, the promo ends with Charming stating that the evil queen reign ends today. And you see him lunge at her with a sword. Yeah. So I can see another fight taking place because that's all this show is. Sword <laughs> fight after sword fight. Just lots and lots of sword fights. Yeah, so we did get photos. We did. We got a very small selection of photos. And they're all green screen. They're all green screen, which is a little weird because we know there are scenes that are happening in Storybrooke. Yes. But this is all they should decide to share with us. Um, So it was very strange. Yes. So in this alternate universe where Emma was never born the savior... It pretty much means that the dark curse was never cast, is what I'm getting at. Because you do see Snow and Charming, and they are dressed full-on king and queen. And they look a lot older. Like, they've done some makeup work to Snow's face, and both of their hairs appear a lot lighter, as if they're going gray. Right, but they doesn't. They don't look that much older. It's the funniest thing, at right. least to me. <laughs> they're supposed to be, like, at this point... Twice their age. Yeah. So they they don't look that old. Mm -mm. Not at all. And Emma is there with them as their daughter, and she's dressed like a fairy tale princess. Yeah. And so the funniest way you're looking through these photos. So the first photo you see is someone kneeling in front of them. And then you're like, who could that be? Oh, wait, it's Henry. Yeah, he's dressed up in completely gold knight's armor. And it looks like he's being knighted. Yeah. Because Snow has the sword on his shoulder in another photo. So I don't understand how Henry's alive. <laughs> um, how? Uh, guess we'll find out. I mean, I, because I, <laughs> how? <laughs> maybe he's not her son in this alternate universe and he is just a knight buying for her love. That would be really weird. That would be awkward. <laughs> <laughs> And then you do see a few pictures of the evil queen, and she's dressed a lot like she was back in the pilot. If you remember, the obviously, the very famous scene where she storms into the um, the wedding of Snow and Charming, and she tells them that she'll destroy their happiness. Um, she's dressed a lot like that. Yeah, she has um, the pantsuit on yep. with a gorgeous bust and this big red cape. And then you do see some extras standing around at the this coronation or the the knighting of Henry. A lot of people, not necessarily people you're going to recognize, but they did manage to fill out the scene. Yeah. And then the dwarves are there. Yes, I did see the dwarves. But I'm only counting six and there should be eight. Maybe the other two are Because if you notice, there's no dopey. Yeah. And I don't remember who the other one's missing. Let's see. We've got... Was... Um, hang Grumpy. on. We're going sc- to scroll back up through our notes because... Grumpy, Sneezy, Doc, Sleepy, Bashful, 
Yeah, the only one missing is Dopey. So I don't know who's missing in that photo. Mm. And Dopey missing kind of makes sense given that the actor who played him did leave the show. Yeah. Um, yeah, I don't know. I don't know who the, where the other one is. But we got a script tease. We did. <laughs> Do you want to take this one? Because this is only a one-person script tease. I feel sort of cheated here. Well, you can do it. Oh, I can see you doing it. That You know what? You, you can play Captain Hook. That's perfectly okay. fine with me. <clears throat> Sorry, I have to get all ready into character. <laughs> you are Prince Bloody Charming, and I'm Captain Hook. Not the other way around. Yeah, that's a weird line. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know what that means at all. Maybe they take not their they're not like switching bodies, but their personalities switch for a second. Like I don't know, but because they're both ready to fight always. Yeah, I maybe. Don't know. It kind of sounds like um, the alternate universe we saw back at the end of season four, where heroes were villains and villains were heroes. But I don't know. Maybe I don't know. So there was an interview with Entertainment Weekly. Yes. We didn't learn much from it. We didn't, and a lot of it has to do with the winter finale and kind of what we've already pieced together through the promo and the press release and any kind of photos we had before this. Um, So Adam and Eddie have teased that in a season that's seen a returning evil queen, a savior in crisis, and a renegade genie, all facing a dire prophecy, Hope returns to Storybrooke in the form of a magical wish. But of course, like all magic, it comes with a price. And this price upends the world of all our fairy tale heroes and villains as they are thrown into an adventure involving new worlds, old loves, and an impending destiny that can no longer be ignored. So basically, Emma's going to have to go to Stabby Town and <laughs> Robin's returning, even though they're not going to mention him in the press release. Yeah. Stuff we already knew, <laughs> really. The big question for me is now that we've seen Gideon as a baby who was taken away by Mother Superior, we have all those photos from when they shot this episode that reveal that grown-up Gideon is the one who's underneath that hood. So how? <laughs> I have just a I lot of how <laughs> this week. I don't know how a lot of this is possible. Maybe it's one of the wishes. Oh, there you go. The evil queen can wish that the boy be grown up. Grown up evil so he can maybe come back and take on Rumpelstiltskin since the evil queen and Rumpel have recently had a bit of a falling out. Yeah, I don't maybe. know. So that's our winter finale. That's the winter finale. And we probably won't have anything spoiler-wise to talk about for a while because I, I still think we're going to have three months off. Yeah, and not even that they... Didn't they already start filming this second half? They did. They've filmed up to 14, I think, is what they're on now. I don't know. So they've got some some leeway before they have to be back on set. Yeah. And um, the only, I mean, everything seems, well, normal in quotation marks here because, of course, we know Robin's been running around for about four episodes now and no one really knows how or why. Yes. And we do know that, Karen David, who plays Jasmine, is heading back to Vancouver to film the next episode, as is Giles Matthew, who plays Gideon. So Gideon seems to be sticking around for a while. Okay. 
But that's but, every that, that's everything. I don't have anything else in the way of filming shots. Yeah. If anything, a lot. If we get a lot of stuff, but in the break, we might do a middle break episode like we normally do. Yeah, but, yeah. Because we'll probably get some episode titles at the very least, and maybe some more casting. So hopefully, we'll be able to do a mid break spoiler podcast for you guys. But if not, you won't hear from us again until. Maybe we'll try and get Daniel to let us do one no matter what right before yeah. we come back, which I'm going to guess is in March. Probably March. So that's it for this week. I'm Hunter. You can follow me on Twitter at Traveling Pixie. And I'm Jacqueline. You can follow me on Twitter at Punk underscore Bunny underscore 87. Until next time, oncers. <laughs>